The following content is rated explicit for language in adult situations. So listen with headphones. Or don't. We don't judge. Have you ever wished that your world had more magic? Or that your favorite character had survived? How about a full-length spinoff of your favorite childhood series? Then do we have a podcast for you. Hello, Fire Whiskers. I'm Claire. And I'm Kat. And this is Fire Whiskey and Honey, the podcast about your favorite novel-length Potter fan fiction. The Debt of Time. Each episode, we read a chapter of this story. And try to stay on topic. Which is easier said than done. Without further ado, here's this week's chapter of The Debt of Time. Hello. Hi. That's it. That's all I got. I was channeling uh, Billy Joel from um, When Harry Met Sally. We are going oh, to spend okay. the rest of the day speaking like this. <laughs> there is too much paprika on my paprikash. Oh, that's <sighs> such a good movie. It really is. For one line and one line only. Yeah. I'll have what she's having. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. I, I, oh. I like when you find the person you want to spend the rest, the rest of, of your, your life, life with. with. You yeah. want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Oh. Yeah, that's what I like. <sighs> I think I actually used that line on my husband <laughs> when I tried to get him to propose. But I'm a sappy movie line person because of the end of P.S. I Love You when uh, freaking, what's his face? Not Robert Downey Jr. What is his name? Harry Connick, Harry Jr. Connick Jr. is reading the letter. I cry every time yeah. and I can recite it with him and it's like so good. Tear fest. You know, it does make me sad because the bo- the movie's nothing like the book because the book so takes sad. place in Ireland. Everybody is Irish. It was written by the Prime Minister of Ireland's daughter. Um, yeah, that's what I've heard. Phenomenal book, but they did do a really good job with the movie. I did enjoy it. It's it's one of those things that you have to consume them as separate things. I don't know why I'm like grabbing my hands like this. I kind of look like a T-Rex. Anyway. (laughs) Kat and I have both had a really long day for very different reasons, but we are very excited to be here and record. Sadly, Hannah Beth is not able to join us, but as uh, I recently experienced the end of pregnancy is a very crazy time and she is now going into the oh god i'm having a baby in two months zone so that's fun not it's terrible also we need to make it more common that it is okay to understand that a baby is a gift and a blessing and all of those things but you can also say that pregnancy sucks ass and i am saying that as somebody who was pregnant Both of my sister-in-laws either were or are pregnant, and my sister is pregnant. So literally all of us are, oh, and we all had or are having boys, so um, within 10 months of each other. So that's fun. (laughs) And I don't even have a kid, and the dark wizard called our future child a bish today. And I'm like, don't call (laughs) our future child a bish. And he's like, why not? They were being one. And I'm like... They don't exist yet. You be nice when, to Frankie. When the, I don't, I changed my mind. It's not Frankie anymore. It's not, dude. It's been Frankie for so long, and I was it's so not, not on board anymore. with Frankie. And then I got on board with Frankie. What is it? It's Evangeline. Remember from <gasps> the Princess and the Frog? Because it's a cuter story. Because we thought of it together. Oh, that is cute. 
But if you have an and Evie for short, uh, it's not it. Frankie anymore. Because I swear to God, if Brianna called my kid a hot dog, because she was like, "If you name your kid Frankie, I'm calling it a hot dog." And I'm like, "Okay, well, I'm gonna call yours Kale and Tofu, because that's what they're gonna be named, you hippie." <laughs> we love her. <laughs> yes, we do love her, but she is a very big hippie. But she that is a hippie. She had grass life. scented perfume, which I really can't say anything about because now I have like. One of my favorite perfumes, like, I think the top note is Mossy Oak. Dude, or... she gave that to me when she moved. Oh, my God, it's so gross. <laughs> it's so gross. I thought you were going to say it's so good. No, it, <clears throat> no it, it's it so gross. Good. And she gave me grass-scented bubbles. <laughs> it's so grass. <laughs> and not the fun kind. See, see anyway. what I did there? It's it... so grass, not it's so gross. Ha ha, because it's grass-scented. See what I did there? You guys can't see it, but the double snaps was followed by two finger guns. Hacha! Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and dive on into this week's episode. Cat, what happened was... Okay, so, even though Dumbledore did not want Maya in the order meetings, apparently somehow she stuck in because that's just how she is. And then we finally, for... All this time I've been waiting, she's teaching people occlumency and trying to figure out what memory to use of Sirius and then trying to teach Frank about memories and stuff. And like, it, it didn't really go that well because they just don't understand. And it's a hard skill. Yeah, it, it really is. Especially like sometimes like I guess memories don't work when you choose one and stuff. So like, yeah, it, it, she... She said she had to go after things that people didn't want her to see. So, like, with Frank and Alice, she went after sexy scenes because they didn't want people to see that. And with Sirius, obviously, she couldn't use that because he's super proud of it and has zero shame about the stuff he did before he met her. So, for him, she went after the stuff with the Death Eaters, which he didn't want her to see, which is sad. Yeah, so but. that started a bit of, like, a, a tiff about all of that stuff. <laughs> and then... Like, eventually, they obviously, they made up and stuff and talked about it. And we're mature adults <laughs> about it until he started licking strawberry ice cream off of her body. And then it got really dirty and very XX rated adult. <laughs> and we do have the AO3 version of that on Patreon. So you can go and enjoy the full dirty version because there are a number of paragraphs deleted. And that is actually going to be both for chapters 91 and 90. So we will get the AO3 for both of those on Patreon. So if you'd like to go ahead and join Patreon, you can listen to that stuff. Woohoo! But uh, thank you, Kat, for the great recap. Um, and let's go. I was about to say, and you forgot the biggest twist. No, that was the episode that aired last week not the episode we last recorded um i gotta say i think i think the chapter what chapter was it it was the habit of hexing where at the end the sand starts to move and cat realizes that the muggles are hermione's parents um i think that may go down as my favorite episode that is actually um I, i've put a disclaimer on episode one 
that basically says, hey, uh, we get a lot of flame reviews for like the first two seasons. Uh, if you would like to hear what the podcast eventually becomes, and don't mind spoilers, or if you've already read the story, I recommend listening to episode this, and that'll give you a better idea of what the podcast is like now, now that we actually know what the fuck we're doing. And originally, I had recommended um, the episode that's titled uh, Cussing is Better with a Twang, where um, Mary talks about them death eaters, scum, pieces of shit, or whatever it was, and because I love that episode, but that has now been replaced with the habit of hexing because Cat's reaction was so wonderful. I I'm a yes. big fan. I, I also and like. Also, before we start, I would just like to say I was talking to the Dark Wizard the other day, and I was like, I got it. And he's like, You got you got the time turner because you had been complaining about the sand thing. And I was like, no, I'm never going to get that unless you become on an episode and you help me figure it out because I think you're going to figure it out without knowing anything. And then he's like, okay, well, what did you figure out? And I'm like, I figured out why I'm getting notifications on my iPod and not on my, I mean, my iPad and not on my phone. And he was like, oh, that was uneventful. <laughs> and I was like, I know, but I didn't figure out the time turner. I just figured out why I'm not getting notifications on my phone, but they're going to my iPad. You know, he's going to do the same thing that Jimmy did to me with the masked singer. I watched every episode religiously for the first season. He only watched the finale and was in the kitchen, wasn't even watching, and goes, why are you listening to Chris Daughtry sing? And I'm like, what? He's like, or, no, 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 he didn't even say Chris Daughtry. He's like, why are you listening to that bald guy from American Idol who was the lead singer of that terrible band? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I don't know, Donut. Doherty, Daughtry, yeah, Daughtry. I was like, that's not Chris Daughtry. It is Chris Daughtry. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. He didn't even want one song and he figured it out. I know. They suck like that. You can't take them to movies, can't do nothing because the first 10 minutes, I know the plot. What? Yep. yep. You've only seen 10 minutes of the movie and you already know the plot? Like, what? This is like an hour and a half movie. God forbid I walk into a television show halfway through the season. He's watched every episode and I'm like, what's happening? He's like, you're watching the same show I am. Yeah, but you've been watching it more. (laughs) Anyway, bit out of time. I'm so excited for this chapter because you're going to love this and get so mad and it's going to be great. Chapter 92, <sighs> Filthy Half-Breeds. May 7th, 19... 19- oh, right, right. So we're going to end or start every episode talking about what the previous grains of sand were and what the new ones are, because that's how they all end and start now. Previously on Fire, Whiskey, and Honey. 266,128 grains of sand left. May 7th, 1979. 195,135 grains of sand left. Significantly less. When word reached the order that someone from the other side was looking to defect, all other missions took a back seat. Maya stopped training Sirius, Alice, and Frank in occlumency, but not before Sirius figured out how to control the memories that popped into his head when Maya wandered inside of his mind. She was certain that, had headaches not always followed their sessions, her boyfriend would use this talent as a new form of foreplay. James, Lily, Peter, and Mary were constantly being sent on missions to protect locally threatened muggle-borns and known blood traders, as well as to have extra sets of eyes and ears at stakeout locations. 
Frank, Alice, Sirius, and the rest of the Oars in the Order were the official presence during some of the more violent takedowns involving Death Eaters. Meanwhile, Maya had been reallocated to her post inside the Ministry, where she was to do absolutely nothing for the Order until Dumbledore or Moody declared otherwise. Her days were filled with worry for her friends and family, intermingled with the monotony of her parchment-pushing job. The few moments of entertaining interruption came from Arthur, who was all too eager to sit around Maya's office and talk about muggle culture, potential future ministry reforms, and his wonderful family. Molly, it turned out, was pregnant, again, and Arthur was absolutely positive that this one would not only be the last child they would have, but also a girl. Maya bet him five galleons that he was wrong. Keep in mind that she's currently pregnant with Ron. Anyway. A blonde witch burst into her office. Hide me! Maya looked up before shaking her head in exasperation. The other entertaining interruption to her boring days had come in the form of Laurel Parkinson, a pure-blood witch hell-bent on not blindly following the standards and traditions she had been raised with. Laurel had been a few years ahead of Maya in Hogwarts, and, despite having a slew of suitors following her every move, she waited until her mid-twenties to get married. Not only that, but she was a working witch. It was something rare for uh, one from such a high-profile, pure-blood family. The two had met shortly after Maya began at the Ministry, when there was a flu network malfunction. They both stumbled out of the Ministry fireplace together, only to end up locked within the closed grate while repairs were being made. Despite their many differences, they had become fast friends. Laura loved Maya's proud blood-traitor status and her take-no-crap attitude when it came to the Ministry and society as a whole. Maya adored Laurel's sharp mind and even sharper viewpoint. Though it had been sorted into Slytherin for good reasons, and Doria's passing had left a serpent-shaped need in Maya's life that Laurel was all too pleased to attempt to fill. "'Good morning, Laurel,' Maya grinned at her panic friend. "'I'm well. How are you?' "'Maya!' Laurel shrieked, her wide blue eyes pleading. "'Go ahead.' Maya gestured to the broom cupboard in the corner of her office and watched as the blonde rushed into it as quickly as possible. Just as the door to the cupboard closed, Maya's office door opened again, and a familiar, portly little wizard stepped into the space, holding himself with an air of smug confidence, as though he were seven feet tall. He wore a pinstriped cloak to distinguish himself from the sea of black and navy robes. Maya was just pleased to note that he had yet to start wearing that hideous bowler hat. Uh. Miss Potter, Cornelius Fudge said, checking the nameplate on her desk, as he did every single time he stepped foot into her office. Permanently forget my name, you imbecile, Maya thought harshly as she narrowed her eyes at the future minister for magic. Good day to you, he greeted cheerfully. And to you, Mr. Fudge, she said briefly, before returning her attention to the stack of parchment in front of her. Junior Minister Fudge now. Curious, Maya lifted brow. Oh? She could tell he was expecting a word of congratulation from her, but the expressionless look on her face said everything that words could not. She couldn't give a nogtail's arse about his bloody promotion. They've assigned titles like that to promotions within the Department of Magical Accidents and Catastrophes. That seems a bit... Exciting. Presumptuous, she corrected, and watched with amusement as his ego deflated. What can I help you with, Mr. Fudge? Junior Minister, he began to correct her, only to stop and clear his throat and said, 
I was wondering if you have seen Miss Parkinson. Do you mean Laurel? Maya asked, knowing better than to even look in the direction of the broom cupboard where her friend was heading herself away. I'm sorry, Mr. Fudge. I was under the impression she was Mrs. Greengrass now. Wasn't she married this winter? Fudge's countenance dropped once more, and the aura of ego that he tried to wrap himself in faded to one of bitter self-pity. He rolled his eyes as he drawled. Oh, yes, that business. I had forgotten. Maya copied his eye-roll, but for quite different reasons. She had been a driving influence in Laurel's marriage. When her friend had approached her in a fit of worry over her many suitors, the two sat down to lunch at the Leaky, where Laurel showed Maya a list of wizards who had made offers for her hand. Cornelius had, in fact, been on the list, but was very near the bottom. At the top were names Maya was quite familiar with. Theodorus Knott and his son Thoros, as well as Rabiston Lestrange and Regulus Black, all Death Eaters. Theodros was one of Voldemort's original followers, if Maya was not mistaken. Both he and his son were old enough to be Laurel's father. Maya urged her friend to ignore all of them, including Regulus, who, she informed Laurel, was still a Hogwarts student and quite possibly didn't even know a marriage to an older witch was being arranged for him by his parent. You don't want Walburga Black as a mother-in-law, believe me. Aren't you dating the eldest Black son? Yes, Laurel. So believe me when I tell you that you do not want Walburga Black as a mother-in-law. Maya had encouraged Laurel to accept the offer from Hyperion Greengrass, already knowing that she would. Though Laurel had been born into another family that Maya was familiar with from her other timeline, the Parkinsons, she was in fact the spitting image of her daughters, Daphne and Astoria Greengrass, the elder of whom Hermione had known in passing at Hogwarts. The couple had married just before Christmas. Though Maya was invited by her friend, she politely declined, knowing that the event would be attended by far too many Death Eaters and blood supremacists for her liking. A high-pitched, sugary voice interrupted Maya's thoughts, and she felt a nauseating chill come over her entire body. Ahem, <clears throat> Oh, this bitch. <laughs> escape her no matter what year you're in she's there she's like glitter you can't get rid of her i found a fucking piece of glitter on my forehead the other day i don't think i've fucked with glitter since i moved to tennessee three years ago i have no idea where it came from there it was on my forehead the scowl maya had been forcing herself to hide from fudge came out with a vengeance as her eyes were salted with a variety of pink shades in the form of a short toad-like witch who stood unassumingly in maya's doorway with a stack of parchment in her thick stubby fingers maya gripped the quill in her hand like a dagger and clenched her fist around it tightly ah good morning dolores Fudge said, his voice covering the sound of Maya's fingernails scraping viciously against the wood of her desk and the quill in her other hand snapping in half. Twenty years younger than Maya remembered her, Dolores Umbridge turned to Fudge and beamed at him. Junior Minister Fudge, congratulations on your promotion. Soon you'll be at the very top of the Department of Magical Accidents and Catastrophes. I'm certain of it. Her voice was like poisoned honey, and Maya was fighting back the strongest urge to take the spare phoenix quill on her desk and stab the bitch in the hand repeatedly with it. You must not tell lies, Dolores. <laughs> there it is. I was about to say, you guys can't hear it, but she's just got this smirk on her face like, yeah. 
Yeah, because that's my favorite part, like, one of my favorite parts of the Deathly Hallows Part 1, where Harry's, like, transforming back into himself, and he's like, I must not tell lies, Dolores, or whatever the crap he says. Like <laughs> I must not just, tell like, lies, Dolores, I think is exactly yeah. what he says. Or you mustn't tell lies or something. I don't know, but it's great. Uh, that's a lie, Dolores. One mustn't tell lies, I think is what it is. There we go. Yeah, there you go. That's it. Luckily, Maya's position at the ministry meant that she was beneath Dolores and, therefore, barely worthy of a glance. Fudge grinned, basking in Umbridge's praise. Well, don't you go telling secrets, but I'm hoping to skip up the ladder a few more steps than that. Also, your Fudge voice kind of sounds like (laughs) Ursula in The Little Mermaid. Like... My dear little child. I have no idea where it came from. I just feel like very congested when I, I just, I don't like him. So I gave him the grossest voice I could. Yeah. Cause at first it sounded like Chucky from Rugrats. Like you had a very like stuffy nose and now you just sound like, well, my dear, I have your voice. You can have legs. Like <laughs> you poor unfortunate soul. Great fucking song. Ugh. Anyway, Maya held back the breakfast that was threatening to make a reappearance. Why had she let Sirius and Remus talk her into having a full English? She didn't even like black pudding, and only indulged because she knew Remus would make himself sick if he ate it all himself. (laughs) Sorry, full English. I know it means breakfast, but that kind of sounds like a bikini wax. Like, I'll take the full English, please. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Just... Okay, so if a Brazilian is everything, what's a full English? Just like all the bikini I, line? I don't know. But... Full bikini line and a butt stirp. That's that's a full English. Uh, I'm, I'm calling it. I don't even know where that came from, but that just sounded like a bikini wax thing. <laughs> oh, oh man. Anyway. And right you should. Umbridge um, declared, her voice going up two octaves. Minister Mincham has been wonderful, but elections are just a year away, and I hear that Millicent Bagnold is trying to weasel her way into the running, she said with disdain. Did you know her mother is a mud muggle-born? Can you just imagine? A muggle-born? Maya finally interrupted, her comment laced with sarcasm on the end of a horrified gasp. Merlin, how positively atrocious! Vexed by the mocking tone, Dolores turned her focus to its source, her beady eyes landing on Maya. Quite. So you're the file girl. Quite, Maya echoed. And you must be Madame Umbridge, head of the Improper Use of Magic Office. Oh, I dare say I do more than monitor underage sorcery these days. The annoyed look fell from her face as though Maya had just praised her by the mere mention of her position. Speaking of which, she said, dropping the stack of parchment on Maya's desk, I have several papers for you to put to rights. Maya looked at the top one and felt her blood begin to boil in her veins. She swallowed back bile and looked up at the woman, her jaw tightening as the image of a bloodied and broken Remus lying in her bed dying came to the forefront of her mind. You're trying to pass legislation to prevent werewolves from seeking medical treatment? Not just werewolves, dear. All filthy half-breeds. 
Umbridge replied, either missing the flare of fury in Maya's eyes or ignoring it entirely. They're a danger to the rest of the population. Did you know that a werewolf broke into St. Mungo's a year or so ago and tried to maul an entire floor of injured witches and the Aurors just let him loose in the end? Honestly, what is the government coming to? Cat looks so disgusted right now. I hate her more than I hate Baltimore. Like... Umbridge can kiss my white butt. That's a a fairly common feeling. I think it's because not everyone has known a Voldemort. Everyone has known an Umbridge. Yeah, and she also wears Pepto-Bismol pink, so that just makes it even worse. Which is fine in moderation, but all day, every day, every single piece, mm -mm, no ma'am. No, and like... On Wednesdays, we wear pink, and that is Yes, it. that that is it. it. Like, she's just so scary. Yeah, she's... Again, it's because she she is so much more realistic. Like, the chance of meeting somebody who wants to take over the world and, you know, clear it of all impure people. I mean, obviously, we have, you know, historical instances of this, but... Those are so few and far between, whereas literally every person I know has known someone who Umbridge reminds them of. Yeah. Like, there's Umbridges everywhere. Yeah. The whole world has known an Umbridge collectively together. Wink, wink. (laughs) Yes. Maya narrowed her eyes at the witch. She did, in fact, know about the event in question, considering she had been there. The werewolf was Remus, who had just found out his mother had died. He had not broken into the hospital. He had not attempted to maul anyone, let alone a floor full of witches. And the Aurors had no need to let him loose, as her friends and family had not let them even come close to capturing Remus. Awful. I am hoping that Aura Moody retires soon and someone less lenient of these filthy creatures steps in to take his place as the head of the Aura office. Umbridge shifted the rest of the papers in her arms and went to take a seat. The chair, moved by Maya's raging magic, slammed against the desk as though pulled by magnetic force. Umbridge pursed her lips in disapproval. If you ask me, the entire Department of Magical Law Enforcement needs to be cleaned out. Both Umbridge and Fudge seemed to ignore the way Maya's hand hovered over the wand on her desk, just barely restraining herself. I'm good friends with Bartabius Crouch, did you know? Fudge announced brightly. Hard worker, that one. I had lunch with the man last week, and from the sounds of things, he's looking forward to a promotion over the department. He'll get things in order. Trust me on that he said, with another conspiratorial wink, and Umbridge blushed as though he were flirting with her. It was nauseating. Maya was certain she would never eat again in her life. Hem <clears throat> She loudly mimicked Umbridge, drawing the attention back to her. Sorry to interrupt, but I do have quite the to-do list, and I imagine my pitiful little office is the last place such fine ministry officials as yourselves need to be cramped inside while planning the future of the wizarding world, she said, her voice taking on a slightly sweeter tone, knowing that if she didn't rein in her fury now, she might very well set the whole building on fire. A voice in the back of her head, sounded a bit like Sirius, whispered that maybe that was not such a bad idea. Fudge glanced down at the gold watch hanging from the pocket of his pinstripe robes. 
Ah, uh, yes, indeed, Miss Potter. Should you see Miss, er, uh, Mrs. Greengrass? Will you let her know I'd like an appointment with the minister? Absolutely, Mr. Fudge. Good day to you. Good day. As Fudge escorted Dolores out, shutting the door behind him, Maya threw them both a rude hand gesture. Laurel exited the cupboard with a grin on her face. Maya Potter, such a crude gesture for such a sweet little witch, she said sarcastically before falling into the previously magnetized chair. Maya finally snapped. That woman is beyond file. Laurel nodded in agreement. She's in good company, then, with Corny. Ew, Maya said, gagging. Don't call him that. Laurel laughed, her blue eyes drawn down to the massively large emerald ring on her left hand, looking at it with gratitude. Did you hear the way he addressed me? That business, he says. Arranged marriage or not, I'd sooner avada myself than be caught dead on the arm of that toad. Umbridge or fudge? Laurel snorted. You're wicked. Are you sure you were sorted properly? Maya shrugged, remembering the tone of disdain that the sorting hat had given her when she threatened to set it on fire. Not always. Are you just hiding from fudge? As under the impression the wizen gamut was inducting a new member to their familial seat today, she said knowingly. Laurel rolled her eyes but offered a smile in reply. It's ridiculous, really. Hyperion isn't even twenty-five, and his father's forcing him to take up the seat just so he and my hag of a mother-in-law can retire and move away. Too many damn mudbloods in this country, is what my father-in-law says, and Hyperion just eats it all right up because that's what's expected of him. She shook her head in disappointment. Take the familial seat, run the business, throw the parties. You married the Slytherin. Maya reminded her. I am a Slytherin. One of the very few I consider a friend. Don't push your luck, you snake. Maya chuckled when Laurel stuck out her tongue or stuck her tongue out at her. Does Hyperion really believe all that anti muggleborn nonsense? She knew from the future that the Greengrass family had been quite the fence sitters during the war, and though Daphne and Astoria had never gone out of their way to be cruel to her, both girls had been at least somewhat friendly with the likes of Pansy Parkinson. Although, after meeting Laurel, she could have attributed that to the fact that their fam- uh, to their family connection. The girls were actually cousins. So, funny story about them being cousins, then, is, um, so Pansy Parkinson dated Draco Malfoy, right? Sure. Yeah, so they dated on and off throughout Harry, uh, throughout the Harry Potter series. But... At the very end, um, when they do the epilogue, the, what is it, 19 years later, um, Draco actually marries Astoria. So, ha he married his high school sweetheart's cousin, younger cousin. Mildly insulting when you think about it, but. Yeah. I started reading again. I'm still on the second book. But I liked the second book. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I'm liking it so far because actually, and everybody's going to yell at me for this probably, but I really don't care because I'm allowed to have an opinion, dang it. So I got to the part where George, Fred, and Ron come get Harry. 
and with the flying car, right? So I wish that they would have kept those details from that night in the movie because I like how George or Fred, whoever which one it was, got out of the car, went into the house and like unlocked the broom cupboard downstairs to get all Harry's crap out. I like that. I think that was detail missing from the movie and I would have liked to see that. But, however, when they got to the burrow, I thought that the way they did it in the movie was better than how it was described in the book. Because I think in the book, that was way too much detail. I got a little bit bored and I was like, why do I give a crap about some of this stuff? Like... Why? I like it so much better how Molly rushes down the stairs and was like, where have you been? Like, that is so much better than how it was written in the book. I'm sorry, but I, I, I like the movie version of that scene way better. Hey, that's okay. I, I had forgotten that one of the twins went into the house to get his stuff. Yeah, and like the scene where they're doing the gnome thing in the garden. That's a little bit violent. Like, really? You're going to throw gnomes? Like, <laughs> dude. I'm so mad that wasn't in the movie, though, because it's just like... Yeah, but it's just like, whatever. And then when um, one of the twins was explaining to Harry about how house elves have magic and they can't use it sometimes unless their master tells them to. So I'm just like, so who sent Dobby to the house then? Like, that's super sketchy. No, I think Dobby was able to sort of operate outside of the house a little bit. Um, okay, so he was able to come and, on his I, own I, then. Yeah, yeah, because I don't think the Malfoys ever thought to themselves, you know what we should do? We should tell our elf not to fucking tell Harry Potter that we're trying to kill him. Yeah, <laughs> probably not, but I was just like, huh, that's super sketchy. And then how they were talking about, like, who might own Dobby, and then they came up with the conclusion that it could be the Malfoys. It's like, dude, you you, you totally know. But that's where I, I am right that you're now. getting... Because I totally skipped the first book. Like, I got to chapter 10, and I got bored. And I know that there were seven more left, but I got bored. That's fine. And I I think the... I will say, I would recommend that you go back and read the bit about them going through the trials to get to the stone. Because that is very different from the movie. Yeah, because, like, once I got Um, to chapter 10, after I finished it, I was like... I can imagine everything that's happening because it's so similar to the movie. I was like, I can't read this. So, like, because I'm on the second one and things are different, I'm more entertained because I know that there are differences and crap that got cut out. So, it's just like... Yeah. Oi. If if anything, I would recommend that you go back and just read because, yes, Ron gets taken out in the chess game, but Hermione goes forward with Harry. Oh, okay. Because... They don't show you Snape's thing because there's a potion bit. Mm, okay. So, um. What is the shelf life yeah, like of that, potions, by the way? It depends on the potion. Okay. Um, and, and I think also how it's stored. So, like, you know, uh, I think they can put like stasis charms on them, which keeps them fresh. Or, you know, if they seal it with wax or whatever, that'll keep it fresh a bit longer. Yeah, because I was wondering, because, um, like, since September is coming, they have all the movies on TV right now. So I was watching The Deathly Hallows Part 1, and then 
Hermione just happens to have polyjuice in a flask. And I'm like, it takes a month for that to brew. I Googled it because one of the ingredients need 21 days to sit there. So how the heck do you have this ready in a flask? Like, dude. Yeah, that's one of those, like, she must have been brewing at the burrow. Yeah, or like you said, but that you also, could keep it fresh. where the fuck was she getting it Yeah. From? Yeah. That too. I was like, where are you because- getting this crap? Yeah, because they had to steal the ingredients from Snape the first time. Um, yeah, so I'm just like, what is up your sleeve, dude? But, like, I have so many questions. No matter how many times I see these movies, I always am like, wait, what? How, how is that possible? <laughs> and that's fine. They, that keeps it yes, fun. Yes, it does keep it fun. And then once I finish these books, I'm going to be like, <sighs> Daniel Ratcliffe, why did you take that out the movie? Because no one can sit right? through a five-hour movie. But then again, you all sat through Endgame and that was three TV hours. TV series, TV series, TV series. Yeah, but it's also like, people are like, well, if they kept it in, it would have been like this many hours long. And I'm like, you bitches sat through Endgame. You can sit through a three-hour movie. Like, <laughs> shut up. I remember the, when we went to go see Lincoln, I think it was. You and I were like... It's got to be almost over. We looked down and we're like, it's a three hour movie and we're only an hour and 15 in. Damn it. Yeah. And I was, we were at Tropics. So I was like, Claire, we need more booze because we cannot sit through this movie. Yeah. I think, I think I actually like got, because I started with the brie and cracker plate. And then I think I got up and I went and got like a brownie and shit. Yeah. It was. So- <laughs> and chocolate covered espresso. Yeah. Bean. It was so so long. it was long i mean it was a good movie but it was just like dude i literally want to go home just to watch movies at tropic yeah well they're closed it's right now. an indie covid oh that's a bitch yeah. regal's open though <laughs> the seats are really uncomfortable now but they redid it really nice anyway the dead of time so we were talking about how uh they're cousins through Laurel, uh, Maya knows that Pansy Parkinson and the Greengrass sisters are actually cousins. Laurel shrugged her shoulders and sighed. Here and there. But he had a muggle-born friend in school, so he's not a purist like his father or the rest of those sheep. Isn't your own father one of those sheep? And my mum, too. Peenius, too. I enjoy being the horrible disappointment, but at least I'm pretty. You should see the witch that my brother married. Posy. She said the name with a grimace and Maya snorted. Ugliest woman I've ever seen. Nose looks like she went into a glass window and it's stuck there. Wait till you see her daughter, Maya thought, and then said aloud, You and my boyfriend would get along famously. Her eyes drew back down to the stack of parchment on her desk with Umbridge's signature followed by the minister's, along with the wizengamot seal. How that hard woman was able to get these awful laws passed. Maya just could not understand how people could be so cruel. Nothing you can do about it, you know, Laurel said. Umbridge, I mean. She's got the ear of the gamut and the minister. I should know. I set all his bloody appointments, and she's in his office kissing his feet and pushing papers across his desk every week. She's beyond loathsome. Anti-werewolf laws? Not just werewolves. I heard them talking, the blue said in a sudden whisper. She has legislation being written up against a number of half-breed groups, muggle-borns as well. Quite hypocritical, if you ask me. Why is that? Well, she's a half-blood herself. What? 
Maya's eyes widened dramatically. Are you certain? Her mind went back to months and months of investigating old Wizengamot laws that were still in effect, though wild, widely overlooked, and one such law stood out dramatically to her. Purebloods ruled the government to such a degree that even a half-blood was considered a different species in some old laws, and didn't have the authority to speak or act in the name of the wizarding world. Maya was certain that, in a bit of outdated legislation, there was a law that meant Umbridge's anti-werewolf propaganda would be roughly translated into an act of war from one half-breed species Whoa. to another. Umbridge is a half-blood? Mm-hmm. You piece of crap, hypocrite, mm-hmm. pink-wearing muggle jerk. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! <sighs> to the fans who have read this story before, I'm super excited about that chapter. Oh my god. <clears throat> I hate this. Who are you talking to? Little Scoff defended. I know everything that goes on in the ministry. Gossip Central is a lovely circle that surrounds my desk. Umbridge's mother was a muggle. There's even a rumor that she has a squib brother out there somewhere. Out there somewhere? Maya asked. So you don't know? Laurel shook her head. No. Her father retired from the ministry a few years back, long after he'd cast his son and wife back into the muggle world. How does no one else know this? Well, look how she goes about. Tells everyone that'll listen that she's pure blood. Maya already knew that Umbridge was a blood supremacist, touting herself as a relation to the Selwyns and therefore pure blood, something Maya knew to be illegal. Since the archaic laws of the wizarding world had always been put such had always put such emphasis on blood status, Dolores was breaking laws by selling herself for something she was not. Even Maya technically had a higher legal standing since she was considered pure blood through her adoption. Her take on muggles and half-breeds sure drives the point home, doesn't it? And acting like a bloody minister's pet cat the way she does, who would bother to question her? Harry will, Maya thought. We really need a new minister for magic. Laurel sighed, running a hand through her long golden locks, fidgeting when her enormous wedding ring got tangled in them. He's not so bad. Bit of an extremist when it comes to dementors, really. Just ordered a new lot to be sent to Azkaban. Maya recoiled unintentionally at the mention of the prison, but other than that, he's fairly unbiased. Glancing down at the minister's signature on the paper, Maya said, Not if he's allowing Umbridge to write and pass legislation like this. Oh, I hardly think he just allows it. Maya looked up, confused. What do you mean? He signs the papers, doesn't he? Yes, but let's just say after his meetings with Madame Umbridge, the minister is... She trailed off, searching for the right word. Maya could see the Slytherin cunning coming into play. Quite agreeable and relaxed. Maya gasped. You're kidding. Imperiest? Wait, Umbridge is sleeping with... No. She's using Imperio on him. That's the one where you can control them like a puppet? Oh, I thought she meant when quite agreeable and relaxed that mind went like, oh. Oh, that's where my mind went first. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right, all right, doing things the old-fashioned way. Okay, but no, uh, she's using an unforgivable on him. Oh, okay. And basically bewitching him to force him to sign the things. That's rude. And illegal. Yes. 
Laurel nodded her head after looking back at Maya's door, which was still closed. Can't prove it, though. No, Maya agreed. But a little suspicion raised could hurt her quite a bit. Be careful, Maya, Laurel cautioned with a frown. She's well-connected. You Gryffindors always running off to save the day, aren't you? Maya grinned deviously. Trust me, when I do take that bitch down, I'll be quite the cunning little serpent, she said with an assured air, at least until I'm allowed to rip my claws into her. Have I ever told you how much fun it is to visit your office? Laurel asked as she leaned back in the chair, kicking her small feet up on the corner of Maya's desk, right on top of the stack of papers Umbridge dropped off. Maya grinned. Have I ever told you what an informative friend you've become? The rest of Maya's workday fared much better. After Laurel left to return to her duties as the minister's secretary, Maya set to work filing away the papers that Umbridge had left with her, but not before pulling out several older documents on laws that might help her take down the bitch in the long run. Shortly before lunch, Arthur stopped by to catch up on the latest gossip, and Maya filled him in on her morning. Arthur, in turn, vented to Maya about Molly's latest bout of nausea, to which Maya advised that he tell Molly to stop eating corned beef. After raising a confused eyebrow at her, she simply added, Your son hates corned beef. Okay, you know what? There's a lot of Ron bashing in fan fictions, and understandably so, since the movie Ron is so much worse than book Ron. Like, nothing against Rupert Grant, it was all in the writing. But... Who doesn't like corned beef? Vegetarians. Okay, okay. Vegetarians and vegans aside, who doesn't like corned beef? This shit's delicious. It really is. Like, except, okay, I lied. Also my husband. Because <laughs> he's like, this is so bland. I'm like, it's white people seasoning. Get off my ass. <laughs> it comes with a seasoning packet. I didn't pick this. But he's just like, it's just, it's bland. I'm like, it's meaty and it's salty. And he's like, and it's boiled and i'm like and delicious but he tried he it with mustard understand. it's good yeah, with the mustard that's yeah no straight up i'm like you have to do it with coleman's yeah. also can we just take a moment to appreciate how great coleman's mustard is that shit will clear out sinuses but that's what i need to do for flu season forget humidifiers and neti pots just eat some coleman's mustard yeah it works like fucking wasabi and also, very important to note, you never get the pre-made shit. You get the powder, and you mix it with beer, not water. Yeah. Yeah. And that crock pot recipe you gave me years ago is fantastic. God, I don't even remember that. Yeah, I saved the screenshots, and I was cleaning out my phone, and I bought me a blank recipe book on Amazon, so I put everything that I saved in my phone in my recipe book. Nice. I bought a recipe page template from Etsy, and I printed off a bunch of them and threw them in a uh, binder, and now my husband, when he has uh, recipes that he likes, he'll grab one and fill it in. And I like it because it's all handwritten. Yeah. Um, because for Christmas, not last year, but the year before, I got... Um, Everyone in my family, well, my parents, my aunt, my sister, and myself, um, a mini cutting board with my grandmother's dill bread recipe on it and her handwriting. 
And everybody thought it was really cool. And I'm like, you know what? We don't have a lot of handwritten things to pass down to our kids anymore. And I love that I have handwritten recipes from my grandmother. And I have some from my mom. So I'm going to pass them on to my kid. And then, of course, my husband reminds me what a terrible cook I am. So now they'll have things in my handwriting and my husband's handwriting. My husband's handwriting is even better than mine. So, like, yeah. Can I make you a little bit mad right now? Go for it. Okay. You remember how you said that you were never going to give anybody that dill bread recipe, like, ever? Like, anybody Mm -hmm. outside your family? You technically gave it to that Etsy shop lady. So she's probably over there making it at her house and being like, man, this crap's delicious. (laughs) (laughs) in my defense that woman like kicking things and making noise i'm gonna make annabeth mad in my defense that woman probably can you imagine the wealth of recipes she has because everybody's sending her their favorite family like can she just make a cookbook out of that like i would buy that be like i went through and i made every recipe of everybody who has ever sent me a recipe and these are the 50 best. And I would buy that because, like, she has the secret family recipes of hundreds of families by now. Yeah. Ugh. I'm yeah. just saying. You said you would never give it to anybody and you gave it to some random Etsy lady. So I'm just saying. That's fair. That's fair. It was funny. I mentioned to my sister that it was brought up on the podcast and she goes, you didn't share it, did you? And I was like, no and she's like good and i was like oh okay okay so we're, we're being real serious about not sharing this shit and can we also appreciate the fact that my husband didn't want to try it because he was like why would i want to eat bread that tastes like pickles <laughs> anyway this is gonna be such a shit show for hannah beth whatever cut. we're not even at an hour but yet it's such a fucking short okay, chapter and i wasn't talking i'm trying no she could suck it up Put that in your juice box and suck it. <laughs> I'm more worried about the fans who are going to be like, I waited all week for this. It's 45 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well. Yeah, well, you all Actually, wait for TV shows that are 30 minutes long. So, like, younger, fair, fair, very fair, good fair, show. Fair. 30 minutes is not enough. <gasps> Did you hear Hillary Duff's going to be in How I Met Your Father? Yes, and I heard she got COVID again. Oh, Jesus. It sucks. All right. Anyway, the dead of time. Squib brother, Harry Will. Once Arthur. Arthur once. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Once Arthur. (laughs) Yes. So we said your son hates corned beef. Arthur once again argued that he believed it would be a girl this time around and that he would pass along the tip to his wife just in case. Maya stepped out of the fireplace of her flat and dusted off her robes before setting her large bag down and removing her traveling cloak. Sirius? Remus? Anyone home? A relaxed grin settled on her face as she moved further into the flat. You're not going to believe the day I've had. Laurel just gave me some information that I can probably use against that awful witch that's trying to pass... She stopped cold in her tracks when a familiar metallic smell assaulted her senses. Her eyes widened and she reached for her wand, rushing down the hallway towards her bedroom door. Gasping as she opened it, Maya brought her hands to cover her mouth, dropping her wand in the process. Sirius sat on the edge of their bed, his skin pale and his eyes glazed. His oar, robes, and shirt were in a pile at the foot of the large four-poster, and Lily was kneeling in front of him, a flannel in hand, wiping blood from his exposed arms and chest. 
Remus turned as Maya burst into the room, and Lily looked up at her friend, but Sirius's eyes stayed firmly set on some random point in the corner, looking as though he was not even aware that anyone was in the room with him. Maya, Remus cautioned her, step back, Sirius is fine. Maya shook her head in abject denial. He's not fine, look at him, she screamed in her head. Remus escorted her back to the door, shutting it closed behind him to let Lily continue attending to Sirius. He wrapped Maya into his arms tightly and breathed heavily against the top of her head, which was tucked beneath his chin. It wasn't his blood. What happened? She whispered, terrified. An order mission went very badly. Who? He pulled away from her and wiped at the corner of his bloodshot eyes. A few were sent to keep an eye out on an informant, someone we thought we could use as a spy. Our information was wrong. The informant turned on the order the second they were questioned, and Death Eaters showed up and attacked. It was a trap. Maya gasped. Where's Jamie? He's fine. Shook up, but fine. William Prongs just escaped thanks to Frank and Alice being there. Serious. He... he got Peter out, but... Maya took a slow and shaky breath. Who was Peter paired with tonight? Remus swallowed hard before speaking again. Mary. 194,635 grains of sand left. Is Mary dead? Mary's dead. Jesus Christ. WTF, Shia, why do you have to do this? It's a war. I don't care if it's a war. such a whirlwind chapter because like you get so angry at umbridge and then there's all the funny stuff with laurel and then it's just like it ends on like your gut dropping (sighs) i'm gonna miss doing that southern voice yeah well serious save the wrong person Mm -hmm. (laughs) should have left peter Mm -hmm. there Mm mm-hmm He needs to get his priorities straight. Oh, I love that you quoted the movies. But, yes, so that is this week's chapter of The Dead of Time. And now it is time to thank our patrons. And I would like to thank our September foxes. We've got Muggle Trucker, Tyler, Jade, Tori, Miriam, Leanne, Camille, Sierra, Stacy, Carolyn, Sandra, Martina, Shannon, Amber, Kenny, Lynn, Claire, Paige, Jackie, Ryland, Carissa, Kara, Kaylin, Sarah, Rachel, Chelsea, April, Matthias Potter, yes, really, Amara, Olivia, Melissa, Audrey, Cassie, Mar, Tori, Crystal, Sarah, Laura, Amanda, Darian, Nina, Misha, Jillian, Hannah, Ash, Ryder, Becky, Katie Cat, Shauna, Chris, Rebecca, Sylvia, Natasha, Catherine, Montana, Dan, Sarah, Michelle, Frau Holly, and Tanya. Thank you so much to all of our foxes. Once again, we wouldn't be able to do this without you. (sighs) Also, you know what I realized? This episode goes live on September 17th. Yes, yes. It's important for three reasons. Reason number one. Is the anniversary of the day I joined the army. 
which was eight years ago. Sweet Jesus. Number two. It is the day that my sweet, sweet little cousin slash niece, whatever you want. I, I feel weird calling them a cousin when they're like once removed and they're like my generation's kid. But um, anyway, happy, happy birthday to that sweet baby whose name I'm not going to release on a public broadcast. And number three, it is the one year anniversary of the day I found out I was pregnant with baby James. And on the 20th is the two-year anniversary and of this podcast. And on the 20th is the two... God bless. This is our two-year anniversary. Why the fuck didn't we mention that at the beginning of the show? Uh, <laughs> but... Because I didn't think about it. Um, but... Holy shit. We've been doing this for two years. Yes. And we're going to be doing it for another year and a half. Yes. Ah, hot damn. I remember we were so excited when we hit like 500 listens, like 500 downloads. We were like, ah, look at us. We're so good. Yeah. We're so good at this. And now we hit like 1,600 downloads a week, which is just wild. Yep. Uh, during the build up to chapter 85, it was 2,000 downloads a week. But I want to go on not Tee Public, Buzzsprout. Yeah. So since starting this podcast, we have, oh God, we established a merchandise line, which has done surprisingly well. Um, we have a Patreon. We do surprisingly well on our Patreon. Um. We've done giveaways. We just hit 506 Instagram followers the other day. Wait, how many? When we were at a steady... We have 506 Instagram Holy followers. shit. Yeah, and we were at like a steady like 400 and something for a while. And then like after chapter 85, it was just like... Cat! <gasps> <gasps> what? We broke 100,000 downloads. Just now? No. We're at 106... 1,201 downloads since we published. Holy crap. We're in the six figures. Wow. Holy shit. Well, look at us go. Take that, you <sighs> haters who reviewed us badly. <laughs> Suck it. Hey, they made us better. They made us better. So, we thank our patrons every single week, but to everybody who listens to us, regardless of whether you support us on Patreon or not, fucking thank you like i'm kind of in complete awe right now like <laughs> i know like i don't even know what to say like thank you sounds so, so like it's not enough it yeah gee, christmas wow well good for us go team yeah and with that we will see you next fire whiskey friday Watcha. Cool. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fire, Whiskey, and Honey. A special thank you to Shyalani for allowing us to read your story. And thank you to Blue Ivy Creations for creating our logo and Hannah Beth for editing our episodes. You can find us on Instagram at FWHpod. And on Twitter at FWHpodcast. And on our website 
fwhpod.com. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support and get extra content, please support us on Patreon and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to those who support us already. We wouldn't be here without you. See you next Fire Whiskey Friday.